I'm not having a good brain day today, but I'll explain later why. Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, guys. Welcome to episode five of the Guitar Stories Podcast. This is Dan. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm, I'm struggling a bit. I nearly ruined that intro because I'm a little bit ill. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going straight you, to it. Yeah, I hope you will make it until next week. I, I hope I make it to the end of this podcast. <laughs> well, at least we'll have some record of what happened then. <laughs> <Da-dum. laughs> How are you doing, Dan? You good? Oh, yeah. Uh, I recovered from an insane flu or influenza, whatever how you call. Man flu. Man flu, yeah. yeah having the... kids, it's like you never get rid of that. It's just like it's it's omnipresent. Yeah, it's my kids have been ill for what seems like a year now, and I've managed yeah. to avoid it until today. So let's hope we make it through this wonderful podcast, um, because I hope that being topical, this is not a illness that is rather, should we say, in a media frenzy at the moment? <laughs> Ooh, nice transition. Thanks. Nope, ho- hopefully not. I mean, uh, the corona thing is just it's just mind-blowing what's happening in a negative way. It's, it's so much hype and so much fear and uh, I don't know what's what's going on. Man, it, it's really nerve-wracking at some point. We have a, um, a death toll on the Austrian news, like, dun, 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 14 dead in Italy, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And I know that's extremely sad and I'm making light of it, but what I'm really making light of is the, the media frenzy that is scary. It's more scary than the actual um, medical thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to gloss over that. It is very sad that people have suffered and um, have died, but um, also yeah. the media is not making it better. Not at all, no, no, no. But you know what? And I think we should try to to uh, at least get some positivity at some point into the podcast. But at the moment, it's a very sad topic, and even it's a little bit frightening if you go into a, a store and you don't see any toilet paper, you don't see any soap, and it's just like a the zombie apocalypse happened, and everyone is just like <laughs> completely out of their fucking mind. It's it's crazy. Absolutely, and yeah. I. Uh... Uh, we're okay in Austria, as far as I know. I mean, it's 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 a bit nuts, but let's bring some positivity into it. Okay, positivity. People are talking to each other. You know, people are asking, um, "How you doing? You okay?" People yeah, people are right. washing their hands, I believe, which is always a good idea. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, there's so much thought that goes into hygiene at the moment. That would have been nice if that would have been there already before Corona. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, a little too little, a little too late. Yeah, but, but think about it as, as guitar players. If you're going in testing guitars, uh-huh. think of all the other people that have played that guitar, and you might, you know, might be touching someone else's germs and horrible stuff. And uh, if Henning Paul is anywhere near it, then it means it's been licked, and that's not a good <laughs> idea. You know what? I think that's one of the major reasons why there is Namtrex. You know, everyone at, at Nam Show, you're shaking hands, you're picking up guitars, and you don't know who was there. Who was the person who picked it up before you or licked it before you? I don't know. I don't know, it's man. Just, it's it's yeah. it's just not nice anyway. But it is nice that people are be, like people are saying, oh, "I washed my hands today." I'm like, "Congratulations, well done." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, 
Well, talking about the guitar business, I think uh, Corona will have quite significant impact on the whole business for or the whole industry. Yeah, I'm not sure if people are really aware of the the length of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's talk about China, which is where a lot of the parts for our beloved pedals, amps, and guitars, and all sorts of things come from. Mm-hmm. They shut down. So there was a shutdown in many, if not most, of the factories. Um, yeah. And there are there are pedal makers that I've heard of already who are crying out for parts, and they can't get them. Yeah, yeah. not just the small ones. Also, the big companies yeah. they are suffering big time. And at the, I think what I what I heard uh, from reliable sources is that at the moment factories are partly back in action, but uh, like the the staff level has only reached like forty, fifty, maybe sixty percent if you're lucky. So they're still missing a lot of uh, a lot of staff and, and workforce to you know produce what they actually had a vision to produce you know, the mm. quantities they are not back at where they're supposed to be if, if, if at all you know because sometimes they can't produce certain items because they're just lacking that one part or that one you know pickup or whatever you know it's it's sad because in the long run we will definitely see some some impact you know in a negative way that there are there will be some items that are not available that are heavily delayed uh, maybe even some cuts in overall quantity so you know some guitars and pedals not being available anymore so there will be there will be some tough decisions to be made and uh, you know frankly speaking at the moment it's only like on the surface what we see but uh, what will really have happened we will see in hindsight maybe at the end of this year and that's just at the moment it's, it's it's giving me a hard time to really figure out what what's going on and how to you know allocate quantities and uh, yeah it's yeah, difficult and even uh, you know what even the, the whole thing of shipping like cargo ships DHL is not sending to China anymore you don't get any containers in at the moment because sometimes you know they did the stop they get, went from China to another another country had to stop and then went to another country and then at the end they, they would ship that all to Europe all that stuff those chains those supply chains they're all broken at the moment and uh, that's I think that's unique this has hasn't happened like in decade or even more time it's just crazy frightening crazy i think anyone with gas is going to have issues anyone at all like thinking about buying just a you know one of those guitars that people buy that just because they walk in and walk out with a i don't know 150 pound 150 euro guitar that they wouldn't have bought but you know why not it's some kind of disposable cash that some of us are lucky enough to have those Mm -hmm. guitars are, are not going to be made in such numbers for the for the next possibly 12 months any any guitar or anything that's made entirely in china is going to be uh problematic anything as you said with with parts just one part um i won't mention any names but i I was reading about a company that makes microphones and they're made in germany but they couldn't acquire like the smallest part like all of their stuff is made in germany apart from this one little component um but what they did do is they managed to source a supplier in germany so mm-hmm. while it's closing some doors, it's opening others that weren't there. But it, it may it's mean quite... that we're going to be ending up paying a different price for things over the next few years. Very likely. Who I knows? mean, that's a positive part. Now companies, they are forced to diversify to some degree. Yes. But um, I mean, you have to put it under perspective because some companies, they are just so small. There's just no room to diversify. You know, There's no room to, to increase price uh, because the market doesn't take it. And the product has to be at a certain price point in order to to work in the market. And uh, for the companies, they can cope with that. But the smaller ones, they they are suffering big time. Mm. 
And, um, I mean, overall, the consequences, it's, it's difficult to, to imagine, but I, I could totally see that the overall supply will, will be reduced. So like, especially, this, like you said, the entry level models, that we, will, we will definitely see some smaller quantities in the store and even to the degree where, you know, a go-to guitar, bread, uh, bread and butter guitar will not be available, let's say for Christmas. You know, if you go into a store, let's say on December 20th, I think it's highly likely that there will be no, I don't know, standard Squire, Ibanez, Geo or whatever. On the plus side, man, people are still going to need guitars for Christmas presents, so they're going to spend more money on other guitars. Yeah, so it's an opportunity for upselling or maybe the used market. Our friends at Reverb, they might have a good, a good business too. And uh, yeah. wait a minute, I wait a minute, did did Berin just start this? <laughs> is this is this a whole music tribe thing that they're trying to get this off the ground? So they decided to halt all production of new guitars. <laughs> well. Let, let me call Uli quickly. I'm not saying it is, but I'm not saying it isn't. What do you guys? Conspiracy. What do you guys think? Listening to this, is it? Um, is it a conspiracy? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Uh, okay. This but I hope. Yeah. No, it's definitely not sponsored by anybody this week. Yeah. Um, I, I hope. I desperate. Handy. I desperately hope that. Uh, at least manufacturers will rely on proper QC because that will be the worst part if we see guitars being shipped out with, with worse quality than in, sure. the, in the previous years just because of uh, the pressure and uh, you know they, they're not able to produce or ship out more guitars and check more guitars. So I hope that like the quality standard itself will be, will be capped at a, at a certain minimum. Otherwise, it would be terrible because we've reached such a great quality level in the market and uh, they'll be super bad if that would drop because of Corona. Then in that case, we're starting a new segment called Andy's Buying Advice, which is here for this, <laughs> this week and this week only. My buying advice right. is go out and buy all the level entry guitars you can afford. Entry level <laughs> guitars. So a couple of Squires, a couple of Geos, a couple of Harley Bantons, a couple of, um, I don't know, Sub-Zeros and um hoard them until christmas yeah <laughs> well actually we could just take a little detour and uh include the segment of new guitar day because i think we haven't tackled your latest new guitar day oh 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 that one that's right next to me that you can now see on this webcam we're viewing each other on for people that can't see me <laughs> as in everybody this guitar <laughs> i'm holding is a fender jagstang which is the one designed by kurt cobain it is from 1996, if I remember rightly. It is relatively beaten about in the same place that every Jagstang seems to be on that lower bout. It is mm -hmm. one of the weirdest guitars ever because it just looks so strange. But it is, I've had, I haven't plugged it in yet. I've just opened it in the box. Uh, I wanted to get it out before I called Dan. And I feel warm and fuzzy inside. Mm. I feel like I've Beautiful achieved color. something. Yeah, it's. It's the seafoam green uh, one. Someone had the, the previous owner, or one of the previous owners, has taped some black kind of sticky back plastic over the perloid guard. Um, <laughs> it needs some work. So there will be a video series coming on my YouTube channel. It is, the good news is the frets are in great condition. Mm -hmm. And also the fret board is a wonderful rosewood. It's um, so from the mid '90s when rosewood was, you know, plentiful and no one gave a monkeys. Um, <laughs> so you find now that rosewood is, you know, you might find some 
lower quality rose water, so not something that's not so pretty, but still sounding great. And um, after I've cleaned this up, this is going to be a fantastic guitar. Mm. I always think that there's slanted pickups. They they have they give it that alternative vibe. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean the the E string is not even above a pole piece. It's insane. Mm. There's there's no there's nowhere near a pole piece on either E strings really. It's not a bug. I think it's a feature. Yeah, it's 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 I don't know. Oh, it's disgustingly filthy as well. My goodness. I think I found <laughs> patient zero. <laughs> Where's it made? Is that uh, made in the US or? This is Japan, my friend. Ooh. And I'm a massive fan of Japanese fenders. Oh yeah. They have... There are some some nice squires and fenders from Japan oh, that yeah. are gorgeous guitars. They have their own kind of little sub niche. You know, I don't know what it is. Yep. I don't know if it's it's my my imagination, but there's a lot of fun stuff coming out of uh, of Japan, always. Mm -hmm. Which also leads us back to Corona. Did you know, and um, maybe I've told you already, that in Japan they closed kindergartens and schools for a whole month? No. Yeah, that's wicked, isn't it? That is. I mean, how does one survive as a parent? Well, I think companies are supporting supporting parents big time that they can you know work remotely from home and. Uh, they can take like days off and get some extra days, but that's pretty tough. Yeah, my kids would yeah. go crazy. I'd have no house left. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or sanity. But uh, they're, they're thinking of doing the same in the UK, Dan. Uh, I read, oh wow! Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, I took a little trip to the UK recently to uh, <laughs> to oil us and grease us into the next segment of this podcast. You are such a magician. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, rather than stay at home and keep the world safe, I took my family uh, on a plane to England to the beautiful city of Birmingham. Wow, guitar show. The guitar Tell show. Tell us more Birmingham. about that. Um, well, I was never supposed to go, firstly, uh, because I've been away quite a lot with other jobs and I sort of hinted at the idea with my girlfriend and then it was like a very clear no. <laughs> and then I was like, well, okay. what if we turned it into a little family break and went to visit my family? And that sort of, you know, that garnered some interest and then we turned it into a family break. And um, so I went to the show. Um, the guys at the show very kindly invited me um, after some emails of me asking if I could go. <laughs> and <laughs> I had an amazing time. Um, it was quite a small hall and if you think of nam if anyone's ever been to nam or seen nam it is nothing like that it is a single hall with electric guitar stuff on one floor and then something that i didn't find out until the second day there's an acoustic hall upstairs which i never actually made it into um <laughs> but i went there on the friday night before the before the show opened to grease a few palms and, and meet a few people and People were like, oh, it's a really small show. You can probably get around this in, in like half a day. Like, no, you don't know what this is. So I took a monster recording rig, and my aim was to make as many videos with as many people as possible and mainly focus on the brands that don't really get any YouTube coverage because there are lots yeah. of cool small companies uh, or kind of mysterious companies in the UK that don't get any coverage. So I thought I'd, I'd change that. And it might be something interesting for, for people to see. Um, and imagine being stuck in a hall with loads of guitar stuff and loads of cool people. 
that's what it was. Cool. So much. Was it mainly mainly UK based companies, or was it more like an international? Um, it was uh, mainly show? UK, and there was some Finnish, um, as in from Finland, not things that are completed. Uh, some, <laughs> some. What else? I'm trying to think. I'm gonna go for. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Someone from Croatia. But generally yeah. speaking, it was mainly UK. There were a few of the bigger brands there. And some of the bigger brands represented by their distribution companies. Um, but there were certain brands that I, I'd been dying to try for a long, long time. And we've been talking on the internet and uh, managed to get some stuff and get a guitar in my hands. Like there was one guitar, uh, Fidelity Guitars. Mm-hmm. so weird looking but still not weird enough to be off-putting they're like um something that's that you'd imagine to find in i think matt actually said it something you'd imagine to find in your granddad's attic so it's kind of retro looking but still modern um mm. with modern features and they were great I only, I only played two but the two that i played were phenomenal um and of course fell in love which was dangerous on the pocket um <laughs> there were also there were there were faces and and handshakes that I managed to put to emails you know because you're constantly in email with with people in the business and um mm -hmm. and now I managed to actually give them a real hug rather than a, a virtual one that was cool mm -hmm. so I got to hang out with Tate FX so Stuart Tate uh Kreuter Audio so Sasha um and there seems to be several um not not clicks uh, like cliques as if they were um independent from other people but there were little families within this big family of builders and it was really nice to see mm -hmm. small family like small builders supporting each other so we had like pedal patch uk was in the same booth as tate effects and just over the road was uh, smp guitars and dover amplifiers um mm. mikey demas from redbeard effects was there that was awesome we uh we made two videos because on the first video, somebody forgot to press record on the camera. We, we don't <laughs> know who. We don't know who. Nobody knows who, but, but it was somebody. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was lots of guitar porn there. So there was, was Ooh. it ATM or ADM or ATD? Okay. I'm going to go for ATD guitars. I can hear Dan typing yep. as we... Uh, ATD, AD, oh, I should have really remembered this. But what I will say is they, they only dealt in used Gibsons and used Fenders. All right. And I was just, I was just curious because ATD is also about time design. That is a, a, a US company that did, that did all the swirls for the in, infamous gems. Ah. Yeah. I'm going to go for ATD. I've just Googled them now. Yeah, why not? Um... Yeah, we'll go for ATD. I was I was just editing some video today, so uh, I'm got names all over the place. But they had some absolutely gorgeous um, Fender Telecasters, Gibson ES three thirties, seventies Fenders, Jazz Masters, Jazz Basses from the sixties, like pure dream guitars. And they weren't that ridiculously priced. Now I know that's is relative but they were about 15 16000 pounds which is a lot of money mm -hmm. 
but it's not a lot, a lot of money. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, too, it's too rich for my blood, but, um, but certainly uh, achievable for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Cool. Um, oh, core guitars really, really sort of struck a note with me. This guy was just basically building guitars that he loved, which I know is true of, of many people, but it was the most, or one of the most precise guitars I've ever played. What kind of, what kind of uh, guitar type was it? Was it Strat type or Les Paul type? It, or? This one that I played was an, I'm going to call it a single cut because he said it was his own shape, but it was very definitely a Telecaster. All right. Um, it was very telly inspired, slightly bigger insert, you know, slightly like someone had missed on a telly, but in a good way. Absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. But the, the he had, it was custom guitars and you could get a custom guitar for I think about 1500 pounds or 1300 okay. and upwards. And he had a very clever way of doing it. So if you had the lower price stuff, you'd go for Wilkinson hardware and um, which is great, but it's very certainly in the affordable uh, range. I love Wilkinson stuff. And then uh, the other stuff was um, more expensive. Uh, what's it called? I can't remember. Uh, hip shot. <laughs> hip shot. Right. So okay. you had two options and you could choose to go like full out on the wood or full out on the hardware or full out on pickups or full out on everything. So you could mix and match everything. And the the precision with which, he, which he'd set up this guitar with was absolutely beautiful. And mm-hmm. you could tell that he was an engineer uh, rather than some guy who had just decided to build guitars. And uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. So cool. big shout out to them. And fine, I mean, there's, there's so many shout outs I could do. But finally, I guess um, there was uh, Guitar Breaks, which is a, a guitar holiday. <laughs> All right, I'm intrigued. What's that? <laughs> so you, you go on a little holiday with other people that also play guitar. And they have some master trainee there, a uh, teacher there. So there was uh, Pete Honore. There was many others that I can't remember right now. Um, but basically, you, you go for a nice holiday in a place such as Italy. Um, right. And you all play guitar and hang out and learn a little bit and then jam a little bit and then just hang out. Uh, Andy Guitar was also was also there. Uh, Mick Taylor from the Pedal Show, Dan Steinhardt, Rabia, um, uh, Chris Buck. Yeah, so many, many cool guitar players that you could just hang out with and, and learn how to further your guitar playing. Hmm. Um, and there was also a really good appearance by Phil X. Phil X was awesome on stage. Cool. Uh, but yeah, Birmingham, oh, it's not Birmingham Guitar Show, it's called The Guitar Show, and it just happens to be in Birmingham. It's growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that organizes it, Jason, is a very cool guy and uh, nice to see him running around crazy on Friday and then smiling after the show on Sunday. I mm-hmm. think it was a big success. Yeah. And I think if anyone's near Birmingham, then it would be a mistake not to go next year. Cool. Do you have any numbers? How many visitors they usually have, Brady? I know that it was more than last year, whatever last year was. Yeah. And I know that... A th- I think he said a third of the uh, brands that were there this year have already booked for next year. Oh, wow, that's good. So, cool. yeah, it was it was just a room full of very cool people and guitars. Uh, and there were young people, older people, people with their kids. Um, 
just some really fun people. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of, and I think this show is about the right size so that you can get around it easily without being tired. They sell beer mm-hmm. and they sell uh, curry. So you can have a beer and a curry and a guitar. All the boxes are checked. Tick, then. tick, tick. So yeah, yeah, anybody who's listening to this who is near Birmingham or at least uh, Birmingham Airport is awesome to get to the show. Then next year I will hopefully be there. Please come and say hi. Um, Which leads us to the promotional segment of the show because you went there because you had some incredible sponsors, right? I did. Who was it? Uh, I don't really want to mention them yet because okay. a few haven't confirmed. All but right. uh, I will say uh, one of them was Honey Boy Amps, who is a small builder from Scotland, Andy. And uh, he stumped up some cash to help me pay to get to the show. Wow, that's cool. Uh, and he's extra, he's extra special because he's been out of the business because it, it didn't fail in any way, but he did not get the numbers that he'd hoped for. He makes fantastic amplifiers, um, and he had to sort of step back a little bit, and he's just stepped back in, and I want to give him a little special push because he makes great amps, and he's really, really cool. All right. Does that mean we got to keep our eyes peeled for some great amp content on your channel? Oh, then? yes. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, there was... I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. I could speak for a long, long time about the guitar show. I just had so much fun. And I got to see old friends and make new friends. And and dare I say, I had fans there as well. That was slightly odd for me. That was an odd, odd experience. <laughs> That's great. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, it was really nice to, to meet the people that I've been kind of helping on YouTube but with the buying decisions and repairing and mm-hmm. and me making the mistakes so they don't have to <laughs> <laughs> speaking of making mistakes uh are we, are we through with the birmingham show shall we go on to next time mate let's do it we got i'm i'm so uh, so ready to see what this mistake is well <laughs> <laughs> you remember when you were at school and uh, there was the smart guy sitting next to you and you were looking at on his cheat when during tests and you know writing off from his paper and then the teacher would no, no, because I was the guy that everyone copied off. Oh, there no, you go. not really, no. not really. But no, I was too. I was. But too, speaking yes. of copying and copycats, yes. What's happened, Dan? What's happened in the guitar world? Well, there was a lot of is turmoil. The right yes, word? yeah, let's know. go for turmoil. Turmoil uh, happening on, on the forums and on YouTube and stuff because Kiesel, uh, Kiesel Guitars, the U.S. manufacturer of. Uh, Quite custom-made guitars received a cease and desist letter from the big G, from Gibson about I think the Ultra V and the CS6, like the Les, um, Les Paul kind of shape guitar single cut. So yeah, I think Guitar World was the first source to to publish that. There were a couple of videos out there, and uh, that was quite interesting. And for the few people that might not know what the cease and desist letter is, it's uh, like a letter or document that's sent to company or an individual that tells them to stop a certain behavior that's supposedly illegal or does not comply to laws or does not reflect any kind of trademarks, etc. So basically it's a warning to stop a certain behavior. And uh, it's also kind of provides some information what is happening if you're not uh, discontinue that specified behavior. Was that, was that kind of clear what I was trying to say? I hope so. Anyways, basically Gibson told Kiesel stop building those guitars. Otherwise, dot dot dot. Or else. 
Or else, yeah. And that's interesting because Gibson has a long, long history with that. And uh, being a big Ibanez geek myself, uh, there's been a quite a, a period of time when uh, my favorite brand and company was uh, in kind of similar conflict with Gibson guitars. But at that point, Gibson was definitely... Well, they, they had the right to, to claim their trademarks at that point, and uh, it led to a decision of Ivan is not copying anymore kind of strats and, and fenders. And basically, it was also the starting point for the brand to come up with their own shapes, like the Iceman and all those iconic shapes and headstocks and, and what Ivan is known for. It dates back to the mid 70s. Basically, when the Ibanez quality was so good and, and so great that they even sometimes it surpassed what Gibson was delivering. In the US, and uh, then they decided, okay, we gotta stop that. And now, full circle, back to 2020, same thing happened, but uh, Kiesel Guitars received the letter. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think about that? Um, I think that, I think that Kiesel is one of the companies we we know about. You know, Kiesel have gone public with it. So I think that Kiesel are not to be, uh, what's the word? So Dan's cleaning something and he's just scrubbing his mic and that's all I can hear. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm scrubbing my chest. <laughs> all right, so it's, that's all I can hear at the moment. So I was having trouble uh, focusing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, are you clean? Yeah, I'm totally clean. Clean. Yeah. Um, I think um, that Kiesel went very public with it. They posted an Instagram video something along the lines of saying we're not stopping mm -hmm. um to put it very uh, briefly and then they even had a, a signature guitar released a few days later that was in the shape one of the shapes that gibson wanted them to stop making um obviously guitars don't get turned around in a couple of days so this was planned for a long long time but it was just funny with the timing um yeah. and there's no such thing as bad publicity you know <laughs> So, signature guitar yeah <laughs> that yeah. was like the middle finger right in gibson's face <laughs> i don't know man i mean firstly i do think that again to go back to ibanez it helped ibanez um discover their true identity back in the 70s mm -hmm. no doubt and about and take the the skills of the luthiers and guitar builders back then and turn them to to brand new models which i think as a guitar industry i think we benefited um, the whole industry benefited from that move. I think that many will agree that Gibson are getting a little bit silly now um, mm -hmm. with with just cease and desisting everybody. <laughs> but it's almost, it's becoming a bit of a joke. So I, I don't really know how I feel about it because I feel almost nothing, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not a Kiesel player. I've never played a Kiesel. I'm not emotionally linked to them in any way. Um, but I know that from the people that do play them, they make great guitars. And I yeah. trust some of the people that, uh, or many of the people that uh, have played them and said they're good. Uh, it just seems like same old, same old. And, and this month it's Kiesel, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know what? It's, it's kind of interesting that, that kind of, whenever you think that now Gibson has, you know, is, is kind of taking a step upwards again in terms of their image and in terms of, their whole PR and what's going on, something like that happens. And I mean, I mean, on the other hand, you got to understand that if you are, if you have a design that that is trademarked, if you have like a brand, you got to protect those rights. So it's like from a legal standpoint, 
if there's an issue, like if someone is copying the open book headstock, if someone cop is copying your logo, if someone puts like Gibson on, on, on something that is not a real Gibson, that's totally clear that that the company needs to avoid and enforce by law. You know? But it's like at, at the moment there are just every pitfall that, that there is, you know, they just take it. It's just interesting to see. I think it's got to the point where as soon as I read or hear the name Gibson, my brain says, who have they sued now? <laughs> Rather than which guitar have they released or what cool thing are they bringing out? It, it immediately defaults to who's in trouble now. You know what? You mark. You know Mark Agnesi. He he had has that kind of Gibson TV stuff where he has the, those segments from the factory and the artist. Maybe that's a new segment every week. Every week. Yeah. <laughs> do you think? Do you Case. think we could we could send a cease and desist to other guitar podcasts? <laughs> because we're on episode five now, which means that we're probably the original authentic guitar podcast. There you go. So yeah. you know, sixty cycle hum. You should be really, really careful what you say. Oh, yeah. uh, Ryan, Ryan and I already have beef. There's already a huge history of uh, copying, and we don't know who copied who, but he copied me, and <laughs> I've already tackled him via email and via Facebook and in person. But the public needs to know, so it's about time that we take on guitar podcasts such as Sixty Cycle Hum. Yeah, listeners, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh. Sure, there's enough I, guitar players to go around. It's, it's only money, you know. Do you really need all that money? No. <laughs> <Whew>. I hope <laughs> it's not going in a bad direction. So we've got to keep our eyes peeled and look look after our backs what's happening. And we'll see Ryan next time. Yes. Last time I saw him, at, actually, that was in uh, Anaheim in Disneyland. <laughs> nice. Probably trying to copy some cartoon characters for his graphic design business. <laughs> Well, I, when Ryan's around, I know where he is. He's directly looking over my shoulder to see what I'm doing. So I know where yeah. he is at all times. Oh, well, Andy, you're the beef master. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ryan. Uh, you know what? Let's let, let me. Uh, you know, thinking about the whole Kiesel Gibson case, I was just thinking: Is Gibson still? And, and I want, really want to just get like your personal opinion. Is Gibson still a company that is more than just IP, just intellectual property rights? Are you is asking me or, or the listener? In, well, we got to ask our listeners, but it's pretty controversial. So my, my question would be, like, is Gibson a company that has more to offer than just like legacy and a lot of intellectual property rights? Is there like heart and soul? I don't know, man. When All I can say is that I met builders at the Birmingham Guitar Show that have built a small amount of guitars, but every one of them has got love and heart and soul and gone into each one of them. And I would prefer to buy that guitar than a company mm -hmm. than a guitar made by a company that is owned by shareholders. Mm -hmm. And that goes for any company, not just Gibson. Um, that being said, man, do I love a Gibson SG. <laughs> I just think yeah. it, I look at it every time I look at one, I'm like, oh, it's just like the perfect thing just i don't know why i can't define what it is but a gibson sg just speaks to me and it hurts me that i feel a little bit dirty when i pick mine up <laughs> yeah i mean it was a little bit provocative but you know I, I feel that like all the people that are working for gibson in the custom shop on the floor 
these guys, they have heart and soul, but like the company itself is trying their best to just ruin every kind of little bit of emotion, you know, that you would connect with a Gibson. That's just what, what, what you just explained, you know, people, you know, just to mention Henning, but others as well from, from the podcaster realm, but also like regular guitarists, you don't have that kind of warm feeling when you pick up a Gibson because of all the BS that's going on around them. You know, the periphery is just horrible at the moment. I think there's yeah. several different groups of people. I think that the there will always be Gibson players, and I hate to use the term fanboy, but someone can be a fanboy of, in the sense that you're an Ibanez fanboy, you know. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, and I'm a Ghostbusters fanboy. So when the new film comes out in July, it doesn't matter if it's any good or not, I'm going to go and watch it. And if you, you play that, uh, <laughs> He-Man. If you, if you apply that to Gibson, then there are people who will always buy Gibson, even if they were made from the bones of small children. Then Ooh. they're not. Okay. I don't know where that came from. That's a bit dark. Uh, the bones <laughs> of small hamsters, large hamsters, medium-sized hamsters. They would still buy them. There you are know, the groups. You know the, the German, the German term that that totally fits uh, to the Corona stuff because you know for panic purchases, panic purchases, yes. the German term is like hamster purchases, because oh. you're hamstering all this stuff. Yeah, I said something yeah. almost intelligent. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Wow. All right. Close. That was make, that, that was close. Make a note of that one. Episode five. Okay. We're doing yeah. we're doing another one in about 2022. <laughs> all right. So four, there's the four there's minutes, the... thirty seconds in the podcast, and he said something. Not stupid. Quite okay. Yes. Maybe almost nailed it. Okay. Got Thanks. It. So there's yeah. the one group of Gibson fanboys, to call it the term that everybody uses, who will always uh -huh. buy Gibson. There's a the group of people who might buy a Gibson, might buy a PRS, might buy something nagsy, something that looks like a Les Paul, maybe a Maybach, something, but definitely mm -hmm. a Les Paul kind of guitar. Um, and I would probably fit into that bracket where the brand is less important. It's about the guitar for me that particular mm -hmm. guitar um then you've got another group of say i don't want to say uneducated but people who don't care mm -hmm. about any of this stuff that's going on with gibson so they they just buy a gibson because it's got the name on the headstock uh, and they don't care if it's if it's a prs or a gibson they just play whatever they they fancy uh, and then you've got the beginners who who also don't know or don't care but they they know this name gibson so they buy it because it's it's a reliable name because of the brand. And it depends. I think people shift between these groups. And there's probably many other groups of people as well. But those are the four main ones. And what's interesting is the fringe groups. So the at what how far does a Gibson fanboy have to be pushed to say that's enough now? You know, I'm not playing any I'm not playing this game anymore. Or how far does a beginner have to be pushed before they find out that there are naughty things going on? You know, so Gibson can still make money, as can any guitar company, even if they do these kinds of things, as long as they don't push those groups of people too far into a different group. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That was rather complicated. 46 <laughs> well, minutes, I, I... and he says something <laughs> weird. <laughs> Making another note. Yeah. I mean, it's a dangerous game because nowadays people, they are like, if they are purchasing items that are a little bit more expensive, they, they make up their mind, they do some research, and it's not like, back in the day where those information were not accessible. Nowadays, people are looking for sustainable companies. They're looking for companies that have a, a certain uh, ethic 
to how they treat people. You know, it's not longer just shareholders, it's also stakeholders and the consumers and, and other groups, like they are part of that. And the overall picture is not okay. You might see some negative effects in your overall sales. So it's a dangerous game, but still, I mean, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, to me, those companies still have a big advantage, the big F and the big G. Whenever you think of a guitar, this is the prototypical shape. So they have all that legacy and they have all that history. And it's like what people immediately, immediately connect with guitar and guitar music, you know, it's that image in your head, whenever you close your eyes and you think about a guitar, maybe not for me, but for 99% out there, you think about the Strat or Les Paul. Wait, which guitar do you think of? AT100. <laughs> 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 yeah. Playing a guitar for 20 years switches some some bulbs up there, some light bulbs up there into different colors. So, mm. I mm -hmm. think my, my parents who, are, my mom's a musician, but my dad is not, but my dad knows what a Fender is. He doesn't know anything about, you know, the, the intricacies of a guitar, or how it works or how you play it. But he knows the name Fender. Yep. And he, um, he has a, a Squire Strat just to look at. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's got no strings. <laughs> but uh, he got offered it to buy for a very cheap price. And he said, Yeah, I'd like to look at that. So he bought it and put it in the room. That is so cool. Um, so it's, it's a black Fender Squire Strat. Um, so he, he's aware of these big names. He's not aware of Gibson, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's odd. You know, there's, there's another fringe group of people that just, as you said, they know this guitar shape. And they mm -hmm. might default to the Strat or, or what we would call the Strat or the Les Paul. Huh. That is right. Hmm. Why didn't you restring the guitar, by the way? It didn't have any strings on me. You went to the Birmingham Guitar Show. There were no strings? <coughs> I I went to the show. <coughs> <coughs> sorry, <coughs> a, bit of, a bit of Corona. Uh, I went to the um, guitar show before I went to my dad's, before I found out that he had this Strat. Oh, okay. I thought that's like a kind of thing that was there already when you were a kid or something. Yeah. No, no, he he bought it recently. And, oh, um, cool. Cool dad. Cool dad. Yeah, my dad is rather cool in a really yeah. dad kind of way. <laughs> but I also found my uh, my second ever guitar whilst I was at home home. Okay, what was that? Take a guess. What do you think? My, my first guitar was a Strat copy made by Hona and Alex90. Yeah. What do you think my second guitar was mid early 90s epiphone special so scarily close an epiphone okay. lp 100 there you go which, which was the special <laughs> of of that that yet those years there you go you nailed it i know you i know you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wanted something something humbuckering oh, right. so yeah. yeah it was I, I still remember back in the day when i had my my first like Kind of shitty guitar that was like a hurty caster kind of thing. Uh, it was, I think, a Johnson guitar. Oh, <laughs> a black strat, but like the bad quality level of Johnson guitars, not the good one that came later. And I always wanted to have like that nice, nice distortion tone. And I purchased like a used first edition Marshall Bluesbreaker at that time. No, yeah, I and at now I would love it, but at that time I wanted to play Metallica and this kind of stuff. And I traded it in for a Dan Electro Pastrami overdrive. No, that is the worst overdrive ever made that I've played. I have one, and it's the only pedal that I can genuinely not get a good sound out of. 
<laughs> there you go. You traded a blues breaker for a pastrami. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, I, 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 I need a moment. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't sell a Gem 77 Loch Ness Green against <laughs> <laughs> a shitty <laughs> digital device that is worth like, pennies nowadays. Oh, God. But still, yeah. That was one of the worst trades ever. But they were like 40 euros, 40 whatever the equivalent is. But, you know, the blues breaker at that time wasn't much more expensive either. It was just... (laughs) Andy's in tears now. I'm holding (laughs) my head. Scratching his forehead, yeah. Uh, you can prob- probably never look at- look at me again. Okay, well, um, I can, but I'm always going to think of you trying to play Metallica with the Dan Electra pastrami, <laughs> which I I know that there are various ways to get the Metallica tone, but that is not one of them. <laughs> no, I know, but I didn't know back in the day. Come on. <laughs> huh. oh, uh, well, so but hmm? I'm just reaching up to pass my microphone just to show you that. Oh, a nice original Marshall Bluesbreaker version one. Yeah, that is beautiful. I bought that for fifteen pounds yeah. when a shop was going out of business, and I didn't know what it was, and I almost swapped it because I couldn't get any time. It just didn't do anything, in my opinion, back then. Uh-huh. So I, yeah. I totally feel you. It's like, well, turn the gain up to max. Still not a lot of gain. Yeah, <laughs> that's the uneducated ear when you're young. Yeah, yeah. and now it's a it's a very yeah. it's a pedal that every time I mention it, Chris Barocci says. You should bring that. We should make a video on it. I said, yeah. And I keep saying I'm going to bring it. And then I don't. <laughs> you never will, never will right? <laughs> no, it's, it's not even here. It's a hologram. All right. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So closing down the, the Kiesel versus Gibson topic. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give up my opinion on what I think about the shape because everyone who's looking at that is just, you know, you can come up with your own decision of whether you feel it's valid or not to send that season desist letter but what i want to say is i'm so sick of that whole season desist shit yeah it's just i don't want to hear about it anymore i want to have like positive news i want to have excitement and no rants and i don't want to have like podcasts that ramble on for 60 minutes about the brand and videos and stuff like that it's just may i quote frank zappa who said shut up and play your guitar there you go I can totally relate to that. Which uh, we should be doing right now. Honestly, if I spent as much time practicing as I do recording this podcast, I'd be like 15% better. Hello, we're on episode five, not 500. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Daniel. I'm going (laughs) to... That was my Jagstanger, which I'm sure you all recognized. There you go. Well, well, um, I think we're, we're basically through for today. What do we have for the interview t- section? We have a person talking to you. This person mm-hmm. has a very special name. What's the name? The name it begins with N. Okay. And ends with? An N. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very special person. It's uh, Nick Johnson, Canadian guitarist and uh, great player instrumental player and a hilarious dude um yeah it was it was unfortunate that you could join the for the interview because you obviously spent your time with your dad yeah. instead of uh, in front of a microphone chatting with nick and me we were <laughs> looking at a stringless square korean strap <laughs> nah <laughs> i totally understand that 
But it's, it was pretty interesting because Nick is those kind of uh, musicians that understand how to connect the dots of being an artist, but also being a businessman. Definitely. And uh, like first time when I met him, we had so many great talks in the car, not just about gear, but also about like the business side of things. And I think that that is pretty much mirrored in, in the talk and in the interview because we went from how he, you know, kind of built his guitar and how the whole Schechter thing started and uh, went to, you know, what's going on in the market and why he currently has 15, I repeat, 15 signature guitars in the market. 15 Nick Johnson signature guitars, yeah. As in different colors or? Different colors, different price ranges, left hand, right hand models. Crazy, isn't that? That is. And he's a Schechter artist, I believe. So they're, he's a Schechter artist, yeah. yeah. He, he's like one of the few guys in the Schechter roster that is uh, you know, playing the Strat style guitars. But his, his uh, signature guitar is pretty unique and he's talking about that as well. And uh, yeah, it was a blast. It was, I think, like 45 minutes interview. So it's quite long, but it gives a very good uh, behind the scenes look on you know how Nick does what he does and why he's so successful and also why he's such a great human. Whenever you meet him, there's just love in the air and it's so much positivity. So I can relate to that a lot. So yeah. I hope our, our listeners, they have a lot of fun and enjoy listening to not me mumbling, but to Nick explaining all this stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll see for next week. We've got another interesting guest, but uh, that's still secret. So yeah, don't say anything. No. No. I'm also a listener because I, I wasn't at this interview, so I get to listen to that interview again. Yeah, there you go. So I just have to skip through this nonsense till I hear a Canadian voice, and then, <laughs> then I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, well, then, let's call it a day. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your time, Andy. Thank you for yours, Dan. I'm going to go off and restring this Jags thing. Oh, yeah, make it lovely. And uh, we, of course, we'll make sure that you get all the pictures uh, of, about the brands and guitars that Andy mentioned on the Instagram channel. Oh, there's a lot. Uh, Maybe maybe even a couple pictures of the of the then cleaned uh, Jack Stang guitar. Oh, no no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No no. No, no. pressure. All right, I'll, I'll do it now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if if you liked what what we just did, if you like our podcast, uh, leave us a five star rating on iTunes or Spotify or, or wherever you listen to that. Uh, you can send us an email at guitarstorespodcast at gmail if you want to send us positive vibes or if you want to express criticism or room for improvement or whatever if you didn't like it then you can also leave us a five-star review just to troll other people you yeah. know so you can yeah. really recommend something you don't like and that's wasting other people's time then which is always yeah, yeah. the a good idea in this modern age yeah, just give like five stars and then you say just wasted time yes <laughs> disappointed Ooh. anyway yeah <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> yeah, email us. I will personally reimburse everybody who has spent money on this podcast. All right, cool. Well, then, uh, thanks so much for listening and uh, talk to you next week. And enjoy Nick Johnson. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. I'm here today with the Canadian guitarist Nick Johnson. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, buddy. Good to see you. Well, good to talk to you, I guess. Not good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for taking the time. It's great to catch up with you again. So this is called yeah. the Guitar Stories Podcast, and uh, we want to talk gear and want to go deep into everything that is related to the guitar. Perfect. Uh, I know 
know, uh, I know too much about that world. So let's let's see what we come up with. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're a lucky guy because you're a uh, renowned guitarist, and you're also among the few people that can be called signature uh, signature artists. So you have your own line of signature guitars. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very, very, very lucky. Still, you know, it's still so interesting how uh, uh, that even all came together, and and just the fact that um, not only is it is it a reality, but it's it's going it's going well. Which, you know, right off the beginning with it, I was I was um, first of all when asked, I was you know, and I'm still very very much unknown. But specifically at the time, five or six years ago, when I when I was asked to do the first mm -hmm. one. I was all but, you know, a nobody in, in, in the larger kind of framing of, of the of the guitar culture. Like I was 100% unknown. Yeah, yeah. And um, the fact that the guitar has kind of kept swimming, you know, first it was barely keeping the head above water. And then, <laughs> you know, it started to use the, 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 the hands a little bit to doggy paddle. And then now it's, it's fully swimming, which is, uh, for some re reason, decided to go with a water reference there <laughs> uh, which as we know water is not good for guitar so maybe that was a bad reference but um it was it was shocking that that was even an offer and and like i said to the fact that it's still um kind of going is is quite remarkable to me yeah you know yeah. in in a time where a lot of a lot of um signature guitars are kind of based around you know metrics Mm -hmm. Where mine was not based around metric, mine was based around let's build something with with this guy together, and if if it does well for him, it could potentially become, you know, uh, uh, an instrument that has a legacy of development. Versus this guy has popularity on online now. Let's strike while the iron's hot, and then, you know, what happens after? We don't know what happens after that because that's still a new thing, but. It was just cool that my experience with the signature model has nothing to do with with my success as a musician. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you see, mm -hmm. I don't know if you look at Schechter and go, well, oh, you guys must be crazy to do that. Or you look at them and go like, oh, it's really cool. They were willing to take that chance. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So there's two sides you can look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and the Schechter models, they're, they are not screaming signature guitar. It's, I mean, apart from the colors, maybe, but... It's, it appeals to probably yeah, everyone, right? Yeah, and even the thing about it, like if you look back at, well, if anyone does it, enough digging, I'm sure you'll find some stuff that I was doing quite a long time ago. But you know, even back then, I wasn't playing a, uh, I wasn't playing a guitar that had anything that screamed anything. It was like it was a Strat, an, an actual Fender. What was it? It was a Fender. Um, USA custom it's a custom deluxe guitar uh, made in California and it was Inca silver with a rosewood rosewood um, fretboard maple maple neck and and it had the, the mint green pickguard and you know that kind of vintage looking modern setup and it was just like it worked it played great it was built well and then Schechter when they asked me I'm like can we just do a version of you know this works for me let's just do a version of that and mm -hmm. um, we kind of went down that path because you know for me it's a combination of things like it's like at the end of the day if the guitar isn't great there's no point in having a signature model there's n there's literally no point because you don't get anything out of it because mm -hmm. you got to play the damn thing mm -hmm. and then 
the other thing is like, is it, is it um, adaptable in enough situations? Can I do what I do? And then does it travel well? Um, is the company cool enough to, to give me infrastructure if I need, like if something happens to the guitar, can I get another one? Um, and then you start getting into the business side, like what, what does this mean if we wanted to reproduce this? Like, can we reproduce this for a, a price point that's not going to just be hilarious and, you know, this guitar will sell five <laughs> models or something? <laughs> You just like learn, and I didn't know any of that. Like, good God, I didn't know any of that stuff. I, I, I've only really started to kind of get into like, you know, margins with with distributors and then dealers, and looking at which factory they use, mm -hmm. and 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 orders, and and getting involved in in meeting with the distributor at NAM and meeting the purchasing manager at Guitar Set. Like, I'm just just recently, last couple of years, really, because I find that stuff honestly, I find that stuff so fascinating just <laughs> the business of guitar because because it's like why, why not learn you know what mm -hmm. i mean like why why not yeah. it's just it's part of the game it's part of the whole moving the, the the puzzle right it's like just learn learn some more stuff i know i'm kind of going off the rails with that but um yeah just anyways though my whole point being the fact that that it, it's still um it's still going is, is quite it's remarkable yeah absolutely and like I just pointed out, I mean, the behind the scenes stuff is, is the interesting part because, you know, going into music store is just one side of the story. But, you know, getting an understanding of how the whole chain from the manufacturer to the actual distribution and then to the stores, how that goes and, you know, what kind of business aspects oh, need yeah. to be considered. I think that's, that's quite an interesting part because for an artist nowadays, it's so important to be like that kind of business savvy and really, you know, be aware of that. It's not just playing the guitar. It's also marketing yourself. And I think you were at the forefront. Thank you, man. Yeah, and, and and you know, even you and I, we've we've had good conversations about like, um, you know, the research and and you know, what are like what markets and and why are some people why is their gear selling in X Y Z versus on this side of the map it's not set like why is that all happening and there's just there's so much uh, in the beginning for me like why okay why didn't this work and why did that and then you learn and you're like oh okay I, I understand why none of that worked and and then you even look at like what color is popular right now versus what's what's like the whole thing with with any any whether it's fashion or food or, or interior design and you know blah 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 the colors they come back in fashion or mm -hmm. certain things mm -hmm. on an instrument that people need versus what they think they need versus when they actually see it they realize oh, I don't need any of that um, and that comes that comes to even me with like building the thing when when a when a guitar company with with a custom shop and resources say says to you <laughs> you know what do you want you go wow I could like <laughs> oh I could put a kill switch on and I could do uh, I could do uh, pickups that are all I could do uh, all coil tappable and I could have uh, abalone everywhere and I could do binding and I could do a, a neck with all these crazy words and blah blah and you're like is that gonna like do? Is that really gonna do anything yeah. for you as a musician? And and it doesn't. It it doesn't at all. And you just learn that. You know, it's like anything. You just figure it out over time. You kind of have to make a little bit of mistakes. And the beautiful thing about about the relationship I have with with the with the company I work with, Schechter, is is they kind of allow you to to um to if you stumble, they kind of give you the opportunity. They like put their hand out and kind of help you pick yourself back up. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas that's not always the case. So it's great. Yeah. 
Cool. And uh, I mean, you talked about like doing a little bit too much with the guitar and, and trying to put too many details and, and, and too much features into it. Yeah. The interesting part is that you went the complete opposite with your model. Like if I compared, I just I just uh, pulled up a picture of your old Inca Silver Fender Strat and then had like, it was like a regular Fender Strat guitar and you kind of even boiled it down to even more custom tailored version yes. of your guitar so what what would be the main yeah. the main differences yeah. so what was the main thought to to go that route well well i'll tell you what happened it was interesting the, the original you know i'll just kind of tell you how it all came together maybe that, that's probably the easiest right mm -hmm. i'll go back a little bit so in about uh i want to say 2000 excuse me 13 14 around that time i i was um i was very you know like i said very very unknown and kind of just doing my thing and writing silly instrumental music. And I had just finished writing this album that was going to be called Atomic Mind. So this would have been uh, just, I don't know, you know, spring of 2014. So so uh, almost almost six years ago to the day, I would say. Actually, it might even be to the day right now. Now that I think about it, it was early March. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, and I wasn't with any musical instrument companies. I, I, I didn't know anything about endorsements. I didn't have, I don't even think I was using Instagram or I, I was using Facebook a little bit. I was kind of really, you know, I, I was, um, I was 26 or something like that. Very, uh, very unaware of how to, how to do any marketing. Cause I had done a couple albums. I'd done two records previously mm -hmm. and they, they were financial. Like if you look at just the numbers, like financially they were, you know a joke and then atomic mind and it's funny because even on the second record i did i had some pretty heavy hitters i you know paul gilbert played on that record and, and guthrie govin played on that record and i was like yeah this is going to be really cool and then you know because i didn't know anything about, about business it just it kind of went nowhere so anyways I'm, I'm still doing my thing and i got i've just gotten used to at that point i had just gotten used to things just not being successful because it's like that's just the world i lived in so I was making this music and I started meeting some people online and um, people started asking like, what, you know, what company do you work with or are you endorsed? How do I get endorsed? And I, and I didn't know any, any way to answer these questions because I didn't know myself. Mm -hmm. And then one day, um, a friend, a really good friend of mine now, which we had just kind of started talking back then, uh, Keith Marrow, I believe he had just started um, – I think it was his first year or something with a signature model from Schechter. And it was, it was like, you know, completely destroying all their records for like guitars sold. And because it was a seven string guitar at the time that was, was kind of, you know, hitting, hitting the mark with a lot of people for the price and the look and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, who are you working with? And I, I was like, uh, Nope, I don't know. Nobody. And he goes, you should, you should look into Schechter. And at the time it was weird because I, I looked at Schechter as a metal company, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up in, 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 in the in the 80s and 90s, like I was born in 87, I, I grew up in the 90s, seeing that transition into new metal and, and the Warp Tour, you know, Vance Warp Tour, hardcore pop punk kind of bands, and they were all using Schecter guitars, and I had nothing to do with that music, I, I didn't listen to that music, I didn't play that music, mm -hmm. like, you know, the first band I saw really playing a Schecter was Papa Roach. <laughs> Jerry Horton. They had a song called Last that's right. They had a song called Last Resort, mm -hmm. and, and Jerry was playing uh, a Schecter. I think it was a white, either a white, black, or red one. It was one of those three, what you know, one of those three kind of or a version of all that together. Mm -hmm. it, regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, 
And I was like, oh, and then I started seeing it more. I remember a band called, do you remember a band called Crazy Town? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Crazy Town. They had, a, they had a guy. Yeah, the guy had a guy, he had a guy playing, listen to this shit. He had a guy playing, uh, in his band, he had a guy playing a Schecter and he wouldn't put a high E string on it. Yeah. <laughs> his thing was, I don't use a high E. And I remember having old, I could dig some up if I still have them, old magazines from that, from that era where they had, you know, splash splash pages of guys from those bands playing check to power man 5000 was another one mike tempesta who is now i think the artist relations guy at charvel which is funny <laughs> but uh, anyway so I, I just didn't associate with that stuff I, I i i liked um at the time i listened to bands that you know they played fender guitars or they played ibanez guitars or a lot of the 80s stuff i liked they all played carbon guitars you know stuff like that mm-hmm. um so I said I never even thought about Czech, and then they put me or Keith put me in touch with with a gentleman named Mark Lacord, who's the the VP, and they sent me over this this guitar to try it because I, I specifically said, and I didn't have any bargaining power, but I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not gonna play a metal guitar, I just don't. So if you have something similar to what I'm playing, I would love to check one out. Mm-hmm. So they sent me over, and and I I felt you know. I left it in the case for about a week because I was afraid to play it. I'm like, I'm not going to like it. I know I'm not going to like it. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then eventually they emailed me like, okay, either you play it or you send it back. Like, you got to, come on. Like, it's a nice guitar. It's like a custom shop guitar. And I played it. And within, you know, 15 seconds, it was the best guitar I ever, ever played without without question. Uh-huh. And then for whatever reason, they, they, they took it upon themselves to ask me and to take me around the world doing, doing uh, clinic stuff because it just dude the timing was so crazy it worked out so great that i was unknown my career was was basically nothing and they were just starting to reboot their custom shop in a way and they needed somebody who um played that style of traditional vintage guitar Mm -hmm. and they didn't have anybody to do that and then i was really nervous at first because i'd never done clinics before and i took to it pretty pretty uh pretty quick I, I i was really comfortable with it and and we just we just started traveling together and i was playing this guitar in front of lots of people you know in different countries and different climates and, and I, I absolutely loved it and and um then they they said you know basically you know in in, in not so many words but they said you know fuck it let's do a signature guitar together and uh <laughs> And, and we did, but the coolest thing, but before the signature guitar, the cool thing was they took me down to the custom shop, and they basically said like, pick something, just pick a neck, pick a body, and let's, you, you can have whatever you want, just as like a good faith, like we want you to have a cool guitar. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. So I saw this this neck that was hanging up, and it was a master built, this dark neck, and it was a Wangay neck, I was told, and it looked really cool, and it had the uh, the Schecter, the, the 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 custom shop script, just the block letters and cream on it mm-hmm. and then I, I couldn't find a body that matched it we couldn't find a, a paint and then i remember uh, i was looking around kicking around in the in the custom shop and there was this old box from the from like the 90s that had a bunch of discarded bodies in it <laughs> and one was this this mint green and i was like oh my god this would look great and i put it up next to the guitar and everyone in the room just was like holy shit would you look at that like because it, it wasn't an obvious thing with this real dark neck yeah. And then this real kind of creamy looking, creamy looking body, and then that was just a mass. So they master built that for me. That was just like a one-off guitar. In fact, if you look at that, it's got the it's got the input jack on top of the body, 
I believe it even has, I believe it even has two tone knobs. I, I can't remember. I'd have to pull it out. But it was like, it, it was not the model that it is now. It was more like their old 90s kind of version. Anyway, so I put that on the internet just as like a fun, like, hey, look what I got this guitar built. And everyone, you know, at the time, what I thought was people freaking out, um, people were freaking out. I was like, wow, I've never had this kind of attention over the guitar. And I, then my silver one came out, and, and you know, people were kind of into it, and it did all right, and whatever. But then I had the opportunity after the first year of that to, to make my production USA model into that green one, and then... Um, it kind of just started going from there. Mm -hmm. The Atomic Green was kind of... Yeah, that grabbed the yeah, attention of everyone, right? It, it did, yeah. Especially for for um, for people that normally wouldn't necessarily play a Strat. A lot of guys that were playing um, guitars with humbuckers in it were like, oh, maybe... you know." And also, too, I, I've been pretty active with, with, with um, playing guitar on the internet. And I developed a little bit of a following of people thinking I had my own thing going on. And... And I put out an album called Remarkably Human, which which really did did quite well, and um, it just kind of all at the same time, it just kind of it, it all started to kind of coalesce. It came together. It, it just the timing was really good, mm. you know. And and and, um, and then from there, we we just kept hammering the the, the clinic touring stuff. You know, I was doing yep. so much. That's right around the time I met you. Actually, we started doing some stuff together. That is right. Yeah. Well, that was. Yeah, but a year after that, we started hanging out, and then um, and then I did did some more stuff with them, and then we we were able to to figure out a way to make a diamond series model with some pretty cool features, and then yeah, so it just kind of started with a with a bit of a why would I play Schechter because I'm not a metal guy thing <laughs> into a lot of people say now like I didn't even realize Schechter made guitars like that, so it's it kind of worked out. Yeah. It's interesting that the the um, that you chose basically the wood, especially the wenge for the neck, more from a visual standpoint and not necessarily because you wanted to have like a specific tone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know what's so funny is is I do I do notice. I okay, I'm gonna preface this with I think I notice. <laughs> I think I notice tonal differences like. If I don't notice tonal differences, I definitely feel the difference in the wood when I play a maple neck versus when I play a rosewood neck, or sorry, a maple fingerboard rosewood versus playing this wenge ebony thing. It feels a bit different, mm -hmm. um, but I also don't really like. I've a beat it with with all sorts of guitars, you know. Right, and, and I notice the biggest the biggest difference with anything is it's it's the pickups that make the biggest difference, but. Um, from my ears anyways unless i'm missing an entire range of frequencies from listening to hi-hats my whole teen years <laughs> um but but i wanted to be uh i wanted to be excited about the instrument like and i just think back to when i first saw that wenge neck with the body how it just made me feel like that fucking kid again when you first walked into the guitar store and you saw you know all this gear for the first time and you're like oh i'm entering into this like wonderland you know and i just wanted to keep that feeling because yeah. i think that's a really you know when people look at guitars online they don't know what they sound like but they they buy them because they look cool mm -hmm. it's like that's a big part of it we are like that's a yeah i think that's a you know i don't have to tell you that it's a huge part of it just the way, way it looks absolutely yeah. and especially I, I had the feeling that the green one with the wenge neck was a head turner for a lot of people because they had seen like those kind of surf colors from the big, yeah. from the big American companies like Fender yeah. and those kind of companies and Janelle, yeah. but oh, that combination was was kind of unique at that time and uh, yeah, so they yeah 
Yeah, that with the uh, with the cool thing was like you had that the body like that the dark neck and then then you had like this kind of really almost it didn't make sense to have a mint green with with yellow pickups like it didn't really on paper sound good mm -hmm. but then you see it and you're like actually and then the other thing i think the ultimate selling point for a lot of people were those with those inlay like those those ring inlays yeah. people like those they were a really cool touch and then you know getting rid of that third tone knob just to kind of open up the space a bit and and then it was just even the way i play it like People kind of got on board because you know, oh, he doesn't play with a whammy bar. He uses his hand like an idiot to, to move the to move the uh, the saddle, and then and then you know, uh, we cut we 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 took took um, a cue from a few people at, at Schechter who were you know doing some of those the Wembley sprayed guitar like the nitro spray. And we're like, let's try it with this old kind of look to it where the paint looks like it's cracking, and it's just you get this you get this combination of like. Just this modern old thing. It just yeah, man. It just kind of all came together nicely. That's super cool. And then you even upped the ante with a nitro version of the Schecter NJ signature guitar, which is even cooler, right? Yeah, and, this, and then and then it's like you do. All, it's funny, right? You do. I do these muted colors. I do the or um. Sorry, I do the uh, I do the green. Then I did the the blue, which is the the frost. And then we did the the white, which is the snow. And those are kind of in the same world color wise. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we're like, you know what? orange <laughs> not at all in that world but it that's what's so cool about it is it's like it still looks really good with that neck and then we're doing um we're doing a humbucker version of all of them mm -hmm. and then i've got a new i've got a new color coming out uh within the next couple months Ooh. which, uh, which you'll see very soon <laughs> it was a which was a guitar center exclusive again and uh I will say this: We're starting to get into the metallic range. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so changing, changing. Just you know, see where and see where it goes. See what the heck? Okay. Why not? Oh yeah, and also then there was the pink one too, which was a kind of a cool little thing. Mm, absolutely, that that was also stunning. And you you have so many signature models available at the moment. I think fifteen models. That is insane. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few now. I, I, I that's why I keep saying it's like I don't know why this is working. <laughs> <laughs> but but um uh, but um you know they they the guys at the company they're 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 happy and 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 uh i keep seeing every day i get tons of people you know tagging me in the, the video of their new guitar and and they're all happy and i i think that's you know if it's if it's whether it's got my name on it or not it's like geez man people people are playing guitar it's cool mm, absolutely and you said that like the the pickups they are a major part of of your tone. What what was the main point in designing those with Schecter? Because these are your signature well, pickups. Know, yeah, I played I played um, I played Seymour Duncan. I played Texas Hot pickups for a while, and, and I liked those a lot. But I noticed there, when anytime I recorded, I just didn't like the the recorded. I guess like the actual, you know, true sound of them. There was something, you know, sorry. To, to talk about another company, I guess I shouldn't do that, but whatever. Um, I, I, I had to get rid of what I thought was, it's hard to explain unless you'd A, B them in the room because a lot of times you don't have the context until you hear something mm -hmm. else. Um, there was so much of this nasally mid-range in them that I, I became um, so against I became so against that sound, and and we we basically like when I got to design these pickups, it was it was such a, a cool thing because I I wanted 
a different magnet and I got to use um, this form var wiring, which was like a, an old thing, an old fender um, thing where they would use this very specific type of wire in the pickups that um, I'd have to get the actual number sheet to show you like what the, what the actual, you know, the, the, uh, the electronics behind it, mm -hmm. but it's like a very specific kind of dip they use and then how they wrap them, which I don't know if, you know, I could be wrong saying this, but I don't know any, like literally anybody else that uses this, this setup right now. And we're using an Alnico three magnet and we got rid of pretty much all that, that Nate, that, you know, that kind of nasally, we got rid of all of that. And they're not that high outputs, you know, you know what? And I'll be the first one to tell you, you know, when people talk about pickups, they're like, it handles high output, it handles, it cleans perfectly. <laughs> it's for alternate picking. I don't know if any of that's true for these. Yeah, yeah. What's, thing is they work for me and if if you know they work for how i play guitar and i play guitar in a very specific way i don't have i'm not a master of all styles i don't know how to use super high gain that well i don't really do a lot of you know palm, uh, alternate picking and palm muting i i, I kind of play how i play and these and these work to really kind of help me lean into the strong things about um what i like and that is you know um hammer on pull off kind of stuff mm -hmm. i like um, really percussive, uh, hyper picking kind of shit, and then I like, uh, I like to bend a lot. I like bending wide kind of notes. I like playing with the volume knob. I like when I roll the volume knob back, I can get these really big sounding chords. And if you've seen me play, I switch the uh, five way blade constantly. So <laughs> I'm trying to get that envelope in the pitch. I'm trying to get it, the the vowel sound and. and these pickups, they you know, they're not like I said. That's a very specific task they're given, um, but they, but they you know they just handle it so well, man, mm -hmm. so well. And I and I've been even using a humbucker a little bit. We we did a humbucker with the coil tap, kind of same thing. It's like that same kind of magnet, more of a PAF style, and and um, it's it's been really cool to to see how. Um, my my rhythm playing and lead playing have kind of been, I guess, uh, informed by just not just output because it's not just output that's different. It's like there's this whole other, like there's this whole other waveform. Like you're hearing there's more information and it's just what do you do with that? And when you get that sound, you you don't you don't play the same as with a single coil mm -hmm. because you, you're hearing different things. It's how you react to that and and. I'm really enjoying that because I used to use humbuckers for a couple of years when I was a kid and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So mm. it's cool now to kind of re reface it and be like, oh, I guess I could try and do this or this or this. You know, it's interesting. Mm. Totally different thing. <laughs> Whenever you have, you pick up a new guitar, do you have any kind of signature lick or any riff or any song that you that you play like for the first time when you when you um, get the guitar out of the case? Um, I don't know. I typically I typically. Um, At this point, uh, you know, I, I usually just get so stunned the fact that it, that it exists and they've <laughs> given me one. And then I sit down and, and usually last couple times um, I haven't really had the luxury of just sitting at home and playing it for, for a few days. I, I usually <laughs> I'll go to Schechter and they'll give me the guitar and then we just start filming stuff right away. <laughs> so it's kind of like, like, all right, I hope this is good. You know, um, uh, so right now it's kind of been just like, How does it? How does the guitar feel in your hand? And and um, I'm also really lucky. I get all my guitars set up there by this really this really great tech 
this guy uh, Shigeki, who's been who's been at Schechter for like I don't know, man, decades, right? Mm-hmm. He's been there forever, and he just understands these guitars better than I think uh, I, I would say any anybody in, in the world. He understands these guitar these these Schechter custom shop guitars. Yeah. So and the next, so it's just it's a yeah. that that's a really good thing to have when when you're kind of going in cold with a new guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have to confirm that the next they are great. They they play like butter. They are super smooth and yeah, it's just yeah, they're real, they're real nice, man. Yeah, real yeah, nice. Yeah. They're, they're it's like it's a really specific thing though, right? It's like it's it it doesn't. I get asked all the time like, is it really thin? Is it really fat? Is it play like a Fender? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a version of all those things, I, I think. And the be, the best thing about the Schecter neck, in my opinion, is the it's the fretwork. Mm-hmm. Fretwork is is very very nice, very very nice. You got like what kind of fret wire are they using? Is it like Jescar? Any kind of specific fret wire? Do you know that? Yeah, it's, it's the Jescar, and I use the you know whatever the biggest, the biggest, tallest uh, ones I can get. That that's what I asked All right, for. Awesome, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like the big frets. I I, I think that's for, for me. That's the move. You know what? When we were on tour for the first time, I was totally blown away by your approach of just plugging into the amp almost with no effects. I think you only had a reverb pedal or something. And that was it. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And you had that TC fifty from Mesa, the uh, Triple Crown, and you had your tone. Yeah, like, plugging in and just go for it. That was. <laughs> I think that's yours now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Psst, that's a secret. <laughs> nah. Yeah, sure. I bought it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Well, that's how I grew up playing. So, um, my whole thing was like I didn't have any money to buy gear. I didn't have any money to buy gear. Like nothing. I I didn't. I, I was, um, and it's not that I was like, you know, some impoverished child, but like, I just didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't have extra money. Uh, I, I was in sports. So my parents, you know, all their money went to like hockey and buying me new skates. And my brother played and my older brother played baseball and sp- sports in school. And oh my God, it's just like guitar got, it was just not a, 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 a priority for them. They just, plus I quit and, and started and, so many different activities i i'm assuming they just never thought i would keep up with it so why would they invest in it so i just got used to playing this piece of piece of crap amp and and real, real cheap guitar i just got playing used to playing just that for a couple of years mm-hmm. and i realized i could make it sound differently just by how i how i played the thing is man like there's so much going on with just the basic guitar itself yeah you know like if you look at each one of those pickups as a different microphone you you can you can do so much with it, and then just how you use the tone. Not, I'm not saying you can do everything, but but there's so much you can do with with just learning how to play the guitar properly. And then also, I didn't have a lot of guitar, so I wasn't always I, I was never the guy to get the sound from the amp because I was using different guitars. I was I was using the guitar to get the sound, and then adjusting my playing to the sound I had on the amp. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Absolutely, absolutely. And did you? Have- it wasn't like I'm gonna try. I'm going to expect to play the same thing no matter what the tone is. It's like, no, you can't do that. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to adjust your playing to the sound you're getting. It's like you wouldn't pick up an acoustic guitar and play all these legato runs and expect it to sound good. It's just it's not going to work. It's not the tone. Mm-hmm. Did you have any kind of wood kind of woodshed phase where you connected all those dots where it all made sense? Because for, for a lot of players at some point, it's just like a puzzle. And at some point, you have so many pieces together that it all gives that kind of wide picture and you totally understand it was there such a phase for you um yeah yeah there was i still think i'm kind of going through it um 
uh, I was lucky enough to have kind of a mentory type figure for a little bit in my life where he, he kind of early on told me that um, a lot of the songwriting stuff, because at the time I was a kid, you know, I was 15, 16, whatever, recording this absurd technical music that made no sense. Like just, I, I wish I could, at some point I'll find some of it for you, man. It was like, it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, like for technical, technical stuff I do now, like when I was a kid, man, it was like way more, way more technical because that's all I was forcing all my energy into that world. Right. Mm. But then he, one day he was like, you know, man, this, this, this is great and everything. And, and you sound cool doing all this stuff, but I'd like you to come to me with a song by next week. No, sorry. By like, by Monday, it, it was it was maybe Saturday night. He goes, "I want you to write, I want you to write me a song with no guitar solo in it." And I was like, "What the hell?" And I went home and did it, and it was like, "Wow, it just changed everything." Mm-hmm. And that was a big, big kind of light bulb moment. And then I just realized, like, I started listening to music a little differently. I started approaching guitar a little differently. And um, not to say my music doesn't have guitar solos, but I typically try to make sure they have a point. I mean, who knows if that's always true, but then, then I realized, um, I realized just how, how, um, it, it just kind of comes down to you spending time with the instrument. There's no shortcut. Like all that stuff I learned, mm-hmm. I learned pretty much right off the bat. Like I, I learned how difficult, maybe because it was how, how difficult the instrument was for me. I, I think I had a really hard time with it because I'm, I'm left-handed and my, my right hand just never wanted to pay attention to what I was telling it. <laughs> And, and I just remember putting, like I used to play, man, I would play constantly, you know, up to eight, nine, ten hours every day, like for, for years, yeah. for years and years and years. Now, it doesn't mean I used that time well, and I never went to school for it. I never really took any lessons. But what it did was was that just that amount of time with, with, with the instrument, learning from my mistakes, it just kind of like, you know, you just put the time in. You just were there with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just by sheer what I always pictured was instead of climbing over the wall, like finding a way to climb over it, I just ran through it. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I got past the wall, but like what method, you know, was it the best method? I I don't know, but I got past it (laughs) by doing that. I kind of developed my own, my own, um, my own work ethic for things and my own ethic into like what I'm doing with, with the music and why I do it. And, 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 um, you know, I never really had a practice routine. I just kind of, put the time, I just wanted to put the time in. Uh-huh. I and I had a lot of buddies that, that, that were even at the time at my age, you know, they were, they were much better than me because they, they just took to it easier. And then, um, I, I played, you know, played a lot with them and, and, uh, and, and I got really lucky when I was 20, I joined this, this band that I had no, no, really no place being in because it was a style of music I didn't know anything about. And the, the other members were much, they were at least twice my age, they were at least in their 40s. And, um, you know, I, I started playing in front of people, like actually performing live and, and making a lot of mistakes. And, and I realized I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> That's... And, and that was a big moment for me, too, because we're all so, you know, young musicians, everyone's so fragile, mm-hmm. you know, ego wise. It's like all that stuff really, really helped, you know. But, but in terms of just, Technically and from a theory standpoint or gear, did, did it all come together? I mean, it's I'm still figuring that out because day to day, my hands sound a little different and, and it's sometimes different in a bad way. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 
It's interesting you mentioned that you are le- that you are lefty, and I recall what what's your take on the question of whether a lefty should play a lefty guitar or not? Well, that so I have I can give you my my background on that. But that's pretty much all I can tell you with with respect to opinion, and that is when I was uh, seven years old, I asked my parents for a guitar, and they said um, no, they don't really make left-handed guitars. So I said, okay, <laughs> and that was it. And then years later, I went over to a buddy's house when I was about 13, and he had a guitar. He had a right-handed guitar, a normal person guitar. <laughs> and I, I, he said, here, just play this guitar. And it felt, it felt like how I think I think it should feel. Uh-huh. And that was very comfortable. Um, nothing felt like it was in a weird place. And then uh, you know, after I started playing a little bit, I picked up a left-handed guitar, and it was like. It was like uh, putting your shoes on backwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can just like this doesn't. I don't think this is how it, this is supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, you know, in hindsight, it it was just whatever, whatever, whatever felt natural to begin with uh-huh. is the way it should go. Yeah. And if left-handed feels good, then you gotta go with left-handed. And luckily for your fans, <laughs> your guitar is also available as a left-hand model. So it is now, yeah. <laughs> And that was like I really pushed that because I remember thinking like if people want to play the, like if people want to play guitar and they can't get a left-handed one yeah. it's like they might not ever get to play. Yeah. So I'm like let's make it. Let's make a lefty, please. <laughs> it's really good. It's cool, man. In your in your early phase like when you were t- in the teen phase was that already when you discovered um, the tremolo thing that you cannot just use a whammy bar but also you can use your your actual hand to to modulate the No, sound? no, I yeah. didn't figure that out. No, no, God, no. I didn't figure that until later. That's why I was that's why I, I do it now. So when I was when I was younger, I, I had a in high school, I'd saved up by the time I got to grade 12, uh, I had enough money to get a carbon guitar. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a carbon because all the all the shrapnel guys, you know, uh, had it at some point, you know, like a, a Marty Friedman or or a Jace Becker or, or all these guys mm-hmm. they had or at least they had some form of locking double locking system, you know, whether it's um, Vinnie Moore playing playing a, a, an Ibanez or Joey Tafola I, th- I think he played Carvin too, or or Greg Howe playing one of those super fend, you know, those super strat mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Fender, right? Everyone had a locking system. Richie had that. Richie Cotton had that cool um, painted um, Ibanez. And anyways, and then I started using the bar a lot. And then uh, I, I tell this story sometimes. A friend of mine, really good friend of mine, said, "You just don't, you know, it's, everything doesn't sound that good with the bar, man. You're not, it doesn't sound good." Because I was using it so much, right? I'd play a G chord and I'd, burn. <laughs> and then I so I sold that guitar and I bought a Telecaster just to kind of rebel against it as much as I could. And then a few years later, in my twenties, I saw a guy, you know, early twenties, twenty-one, playing a Strat, and and he just kind of put his palm on the bridge and just fluttered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you can do that. Then I started watching Jeff Beck do that shit all the time. It's like, oh, okay, so there's a there's definitely there's definitely something uh, in between all of this. Mm-hmm. And I tell people it's like, uh, it's like I'm in whammy bar, whammy bars anonymous. <laughs> like, you know, like if, if I see, if I have a whammy bar on the guitar, I'm going to start using it. It's like a whammy bar is the equivalent of me smelling someone with vodka on their breath. If I'm a recovering alcoholic, it's like, I get the scent of it. It's over. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, and then also too the 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 added bone, you know, the nice 
twist to all that is like I developed a thing that that you know I I do. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the thing that I do now, and it it, it sounds like me. Mm. I think that's what I've been told, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's the NJ thing, absolutely. Is there apart Fine. apart from your Schecter signature guitars? Is there any guitar out there that you always wanted, but it's still on your bucket list, so you still have to have? Yeah. It? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, at some point, I want to get um, a version, whether it's whether it's a whether it's a, a red. Uh, a green or black or whatever. I want to get a, a Falcon guitar from Gretsch yeah. at some point. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously the the the, uh, the classic white Falcon is the is the kind of one to go to. But I was at Toman in their little kind of museum area, like that real high end guitar place. They had they had a red Falcon. Yeah. And I thought that was one of those beautiful guitar. You know, I was like, wow, this thing is stunning. You know, and it'd be really cool to get uh, just to get some 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 cool. Uh, You know, get it like an old Les Paul to play around for a little bit, and um, you know, I still, as much as I, I, I kind of probably get people thinking I don't like the Fender stuff. I mean, some of that old Fender stuff is just, it's unbelievable, unbelievable uh, equipment. And uh, you know, I, I really like, uh, I, I really like. We've talked, but the, I think the AZ is really cool. At some point, cool to get an AZ. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of acoustic guitars I'd want. But I, I don't really, I don't really covet gear anymore. I don't look at gear and think, oh, I wish I could have. That. I don't. I genuinely, and I say this with as much, with as much honesty, like I do not want to to um, acquire vast amounts of gear because I hate the clutter. I don't want the guitar just to be there and sit in the case, mm -hmm. and and just I just don't want that. I I have. I'll be honest, like I have one, two, three, four, five, six, I have seven or eight of my own guitars and I only play, I play one, yeah. <laughs> whatever the newest one is, is the one I play. And it's, it's, it's just how I was raised. Like I only ever played one guitar. Mm. So, and even at the height of my guitar collecting, when I had 10 or 11, I've sold every single one of them. I don't have any of them anymore. Do you regret yeah, selling just, any of, of those? Not at all. Not okay. at all. The only one I kept was my, was my Inca Silver Strat. It's the only one I kept. Cool. Yeah, and I don't regret it. And the reason I don't regret it at all is because they were just once I got a new one, the, the other ones just sat there. They just collected dust. Yeah, you know, I, I'm weird like that though, man. I, I go through these weird binge things, and then I just I'll drop it <laughs> so fast. Like like I'll drop something heartlessly, like just it done. I'm done with it. It's over. Yeah. It's like what the fuck, <laughs> you know? Like right now, I'm doing music. I'm I'm working on this stuff with a friend of mine where I'm singing on it. Wow. And yeah, I finished, it's done. I finished a record. I'm the, we're doing the drums right now where, uh, where, where we're both singing. I wrote all the stuff. I mean, most of it, he wrote a couple pieces and, uh, he did a lot of the melodies with me and a lot of the lyrics and, and this and that. Um, his name is Ben Reagan, super talented guy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, we're, we're, uh, We're gonna try this thing only because uh, I think I think it's time for me to try something different. I'm, I'm loving it, mm. absolutely loving mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, after five instrumental albums, it's probably time for just trying out something new and and discover new something new. And the biggest thing is the collaboration. Like I've never done that before. I've never really sat down in a room with someone and was like, "What do you think of this part?" and and Let's let's figure this melody out and and then lyrics like I've never written lyrics in my life. Mm. 
you know, and then I'm, I'm working, you know, of course I'm still working on, I have most of another instrumental record done and, uh, and then we're working, we're going to just keep doing these vocal. I, I think we've got most of a second one written and it's just like, I can't stop working on this stuff. It's too much fun. Mm. And then I'm doing this home, this homework project where every week I, uh, I think we're up to week 15 or something now. Um, it's just these cool projects that keep me keep me excited. You know? Homework homework is like a school or like a school for your students. They can enroll and they get like tasks every week and they work it out and you check that or how does it work? Yeah, pretty much. So what it is uh, is you you sign up. It's six bucks a month, which is like you know it's like either you hot you hot you sign up for homework or you get one latte from Starbucks a month. <laughs> same, same fucking price, right? Like, come on. Um, and every week I give you what it is, it's the video, um, a handwritten kind of tab. And I tell you what I want you to work on this week. Mm -hmm. The whole, the whole tag, the tagline is basically, it's like, here's your homework for the week. Yeah. And it's for all, all skill levels, primarily focusing on the melding of theory and practical use. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we do, depending on the week, I, I give you um, a backing track with a particular um, task that, I, and I want you to film yourself doing it and you email it to the, to the specified email for this, for this um, platform. And then I check it and then I'll feature certain people in the next week. And then I do like every week there's something. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's just this ongoing, constantly evolving, um, um, you know, bite size. And usually the videos are between seven to 12 minutes, mm. um, basically lessons. Mm. I think that's probably as much as, as someone could, uh, like those kind of nuggets are probably as much as one could, can, can really digest within one week to, to practice. That's the whole thing. It's, yeah. like, it's like you, people may be like, Oh, it's not enough content. It's like, okay, well then you're, you're not in the right, you're not looking for the right thing here. Uh -huh. You know, it's like, it's like this, the whole thing with this, is one week is not a lot of time, especially if you have kids or especially if you have a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. If I gave you too much stuff, you get you get overwhelmed and then you don't you don't grow. Yeah, absolutely. If you can if you can handle this week at a time, like you I I literally promise you your playing will like you will improve because this is exactly what I did. And I it's it's it can't be more proven because I did it. Mm. <laughs> That's good. So anyway, it's, it's just a fun thing too. I I really have a good time and, 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 uh, it's, it's, um, it's still early days, you know, I'm, I'm only 15. I want to do it for as long as I possibly can. Mm, that's cool. That's a great service for your fans yeah. because then they can be really close to you and, and check out what you recommend and practicing. And, and, yeah, and the most important part is really implementing that stuff that you just practice into your own playing, make it, make it part of your own playing and not just a sequence that you practice. Yeah, exactly. And just if anything, like, a cool thing to do is just to get some fucking content that doesn't have anything to do with like sweet picking. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you, you don't need any more. <laughs> you don't need any more of these like technique videos. Like, come on. Yeah. There's enough. There's enough out there. Absolutely. Well, just watch terrifying guitar trip or something. You're good to go. <laughs> you said it. Watch intense rock too, and you're good to go. <laughs> You said that you wrote also lyrics. Uh, what's, what was the main inspiration um, for your lyrics? Is it like still books that you read? Because Nick is, is a big fan of books and you like you 
you re you're reading so many books you know the time when, when we were on tour yeah. I, was, I was impressed with yeah with your routine. Still, still doing that um no it's interesting the the two of us that are working on this stuff together we're both the same age we're, it's very interesting man like we we grew up we're the same age we grew up two houses apart we didn't start working on music until this this past october I, i've known him we lived beside each other for 17 years we didn't we didn't share a single scrap of music wow together. It's just very fascinating how it all came together. And um, so we're writing, we're just kind of writing a lot about just, you know, like growing up, like what it's like to be 32 and growing up and yeah. life and love and, you know, just experiences, right? Like just, just stuff, we, we common things we, we've shared. And and uh, I, to be honest, I don't really know what I'm doing right now with lyrics. I have no idea how to do it. Yeah. But the only, I think the, it's like anything. I just remember with all this stuff, it's like the only way to do it is you just gotta, you gotta just get at it. You know, just get to work, just see, see what comes out, and then, and then you can refine it. And and maybe sometimes, sometimes you're, you're doing better than you think you are, and sometimes you're doing worse than you think mm -hmm. you are. So it's like let's just try it. And we got this unbelievable drummer doing doing everything for us. We got this guy's named Aaron Sterling, and he plays for John Mayer right now, and he's this great just like the modern Jeff Picaro kind of guy, you know, like just an unbelievably good, solid rock and backbeat kind of drummer. Cool. And uh, we've got seven of the 10 tracks back from him now. And it's, it's probably the best sounding sounding in terms of a drum sound uh, I've, I've ever had. And I've worked with some very, very talented drummers. So I'm very lucky. It's like, wow, this is getting better, getting better still. Wow. Sounds pretty promising. <laughs> We'll see, man. I, I don't want to hype it up too much because I, I really don't know. I, I think it's gonna be uh, uh, it's gonna be pretty shocking just for people to hear me singing to begin with, uh, and then uh, and then you know. But the thing is, it's like I'm not doing it for any other reason other than just to just to just to do something creative. I think that's the beautiful thing. I've had enough enough um, enough cool stuff happen because of just just doing what what has been a, a driving force for me. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep, keep doing that. Keep just doing the exact same thing. Just because, because I'm lucky enough to get a, get a chance to do it. Yeah. Cool. What's the last book that you read? Yeah. Uh, the last book I read right now, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading a really, really like heady sci-fi super, or sorry, um, fantasy series called, called, um, Malazan, The Book of the Fallen, and it's a ten series. It's a ten book series, and I'm working my way through it. And um, it's really dark and depressing, and and it's grim and a lot of just sad shit. It's it's um, by Steven Erickson, this this writer, and it's you know every so often I, I get into this thing where I need to read something absurd in terms of like scope, mm -hmm. you know, like ten books in the series. I mean, come on. Lord of the Rings is only three. You know? <laughs> um, and then, you know, just, I, I go back and I read a bunch of Stephen King all the time. And, and uh, um, I'm trying to think I had another one. Um, the Fifth House was a book I read. It was this really cool, um, really cool modern take on, on um, this, this, this girl. She's, she can see the dead, but she, she works for this secret society at Yale. And she's like going to school, but she also has these. It's really dark. It sounds kind of silly, but it's it's it, it was really good. And of course, because Stephen King's name is on the front, he said it. He's got the quote on it. It's like I couldn't put it down. I'm like, okay, I have to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and 
uh, yeah, it was, it's great, man. Really, really awesome, awesome. It's all stuff. Well, usually yeah. I, I close the interviews with a, a short segment of like small alternatives where you just pick A or B. Shall we do that? Cool. <laughs> let's do it. Sometimes a little bit silly, but let's go for it. Okay, so um, let's go. Humpucker or single coil? Ah, uh, single coil. All right. Strat style or Les Paul style? Strat style. Major or minor? Minor. Baby Groot or Baby Yoda? Groot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg or Stephen King? Stephen King. <laughs> the Witcher or Gothic? Oh, definitely into The Witcher. All right. And the last one, I think that's the most difficult one. Espresso or Cappuccino? Oh, Espresso. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do all the milk because I'm diabetic. So oh yeah, there you go. Uh, oh, I forgot. That, so that was a silly question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when that milk is when that milk is steamed, it's just sugar, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, those are good. Those are good questions. Great questions. <laughs> well, thanks so much, That's Nick, fun. for taking time. It was a pleasure talking to you and geeking. Yeah, man, this was great. I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this, man. Yeah. Th- always, always nice to talk to you. You're one of the few guys in this industry I think that is a is a real genuine sweet. You know, person. Thank you so much for those nice words. And I, thank, thank, thank you, man. Thank you very much. I really like whenever whenever we meet. It's just so much positive energy in the room. I, I really appreciate it's that. It's just laughs. It's just yeah. laughs the whole time. <laughs> God, it's great. Isn't it great? It is. Well, Nick, thanks so much. Awesome. I wish you a great week, and uh, we'll catch up pretty soon, I guess. Awesome. Bye bye.